Father, we thank you so much for the promises that we just sang. Lord, we thank you for the promise of your word that you are with us always to the end of the age, that you who began the good work in us will bring it to completion at the day of your son, Jesus Christ, that you are always working within us, that you will never leave us or forsake us. And because of what Jesus has done for us and not because of anything that we can do ourselves, we can have confidence that we're gonna make it to the end. So Father, we rest in those promises this morning. We rejoice in those promises. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, has made a way for us to be reconciled to you, to be brought into right relationship and fellowship with you, to be indwelt by the power of your Holy Spirit, all because of Jesus. And so, Father, this morning we say not to us, but to your name be the glory. Because it's not anything we've done, and it's only what Christ has done that gives us confidence to stand before you today. So, Father, as we open your word together today, will you speak to us words that will edify your church and glorify your name? Father, sanctify us in the truth of your word. Your word is truth. Will you speak it to us now? We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen, amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. And um, as you find your seats this morning, if you have a Bible, excuse me, I want to invite you to turn with me to the gospel of Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, we'll be looking together at verses 16 through 20. Today, if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, we always want you to know there's Bibles available in the back corner of this room, black hardback Bibles. You feel free to grab one of those as you leave today. That's our gift to you and hope that that can be an encouragement and benefit to you as you grow deeper in your understanding of who God is and in his word. And one of the things that I love most <clears throat> about serving in a military community in particular is that we are constantly engaging and interacting with new people. Now, um, you know, this time of the year is, is a bittersweet time of the year for us, that we've, we've learned uh, the ebb and flow of the seasons. And, and about every 18 months, as best as we can tell, uh, roughly 30 to 40% of our congregation transitions. So uh, many of you uh, are preparing to move on to where the Lord is sending you next. And, and there's many others who are just moving in for the first time. And, and and so, man, we love serving in a military community, but one of the challenges of that um, is that it makes us very transient in nature, which means it, it's easy for us as a church to be uh, coming from different places. So about every 18 months, what we try to do is hit the pause button on anything else that we're doing to go back to some very basic foundations, not just of who we are as a church, but of who we are as followers of Jesus Christ to make sure uh, we have alignment together as brothers and sisters in Christ in the mission that God has given us to fulfill. And there's nothing more foundational to the mission, not just of our church, but to the mission of the church than the great commission that was given to us by Jesus at the end of his earthly ministry. The great commission are the marching orders that Jesus has entrusted to us. You know, it's been said that last words are lasting words. And these were the last words. These were the parting words that Jesus gave to his disciples. Um, I was meeting with a couple brothers in our church this past Thursday, and one of them just expressed, he was like, you know, I, I was reading through the Gospels and once again just saw the Great Commission and, and just said, man, I need to pause and make sure I'm really orienting my life around this. Because if it's the last thing Jesus said, then it must be important. 
This is what he wanted to leave us with. And so this morning, we're gonna go back to the basic foundations of the Great Commission. And that always just comes, church, with the encouragement uh, that, that for many of us right now, the danger we face is to go ahead and start checking out. Right, like we've heard the Great Commission a million times before. These are foundations that we are familiar with, but we keep coming back to this foundation every year and a half because unfortunately the natural tendency of the church is not to drift to God's mission, it's to drift away from it. And so the Great Commission is for us an anchor that keeps us centered on the mission that Jesus has given to his church. A few weeks ago, uh, while our boys were on spring break, we took them to see the new Super Mario Brothers movie. Now, um, I don't know about you, but when we take our kids to movies, sometimes I'm excited about what they're watching and sometimes I'm, I'm really kind of groaning about what we're going to see. And usually I can tell within the first few minutes of a movie if it's something I'm gonna be able to get into or if I'm gonna be scrolling my phone uh, for the next couple of, of hours. But I'll tell you what, I think I was more excited about the Super Mario Brothers movie than they were. Because, man, as a child of the 80s and the 90s, I was absolutely pumped. You know, I grew up on the original Nintendo Entertainment System and Super Nintendo and Nintendo 64. And so, man, this, this was like 90 minutes of 80s and 90s nostalgia for me. And, and while you look at a movie like this, like, well, it's a, it's a kid's movie. For those of us who grew up in that generation, that was not just a movie for kids. There was something in there that mom and dad and any adult who grew up playing Super Mario Brothers could really get into and enjoy. And so a lot of these kids' movies, even though there's a kid audience, there's really something in there with everybody else in mind. Now, in a similar way, if we're not careful, you and I, as followers of Christ, we could look at the Great Commission and wrongly assume that it's only for a select group of followers of Christ. Now, the church that I grew up in, anytime we commissioned missionaries, anytime we sent out a short-term missions team, somebody would always read the Great Commission, Somebody would always read the instructions that Jesus gave us to go to all the world and make disciples of all nations. And as, and as I saw it, the Great Commission was really just for that select group of people. In my mind, the Great Commission was just for the person who sensed God's call to move overseas to a different country and to sell all their possessions and learn a new language and, and move to a different context in order to advance the gospel. But as we're going to see today, church, as we open up Matthew 28 together again, is that the Great Commission is not something that is limited to a select group of Christians. The Great Commission is not just something for a group of super Christians who are leaving everything else behind to move to a different country. The Great Commission has something for every single person in this room today. If you are a professing Christian who struggles with doubt, we'll see just a moment the Great Commission is for you. If you feel like you're a super Christian who really is ready to sell everything and move overseas, the Great Commission is for you. If you're one of those who's gonna be baptized here in just a few moments, if you're a baby Christian, you've only been following Jesus for six months, the Great Commission is for you. Listen, even if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, there's something in the Great Commission that's for you. Because what the Great Commission is, is the rescue plan that God gave to his church so that we would seek after you and find you so that you could be in right relationship with him. There's something in the Great Commission that's for everyone. So we're gonna come back to the basic foundation of Matthew 28 this morning, where we're gonna see that the church of Jesus Christ exists to glorify God by preaching the gospel and making disciples of all nations. 
This is not just the mission for Cross Community Church. This is the mission for the church of Jesus Christ. And it's an all-encompassing mission that touches every single person who claims his name. So from Matthew chapter 28, I'm actually, I'm gonna start back in verse 16 and then we'll get to the content of the Great Commission here in just a moment. But Matthew 28, I'm gonna read verses 16 through 20. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came, verse 18, and said to them, all authority, everybody say all authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Everybody say all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Say, all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always. Everybody say always to the end of the age. All authority, all nations, all that I have commanded you always. The Great Commission is an all-encompassing mission. And there's something in the Great Commission that's for every person in this room today. In verse 16, we, we see that the disciples are down to 11. Uh, if you're not familiar, there were 12 disciples, but um, Jude, uh, Judas was the 12th disciple. He betrayed Jesus. This is now after Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection. And after Judas betrayed Jesus, he took his own life. So they're down to 11. And these are the last words that Jesus is speaking to his disciples before he ascends to be with the Father. This is the conclusion of his earthly ministry. There's 11 of them there, and we're given a very, very interesting detail. It says that they came around Jesus and they worshiped him, but some doubted. They worshiped him, but some doubted. Now, this is just a fascinating detail for us. Number one, this is one of the ways that you can know that your Bible isn't, the, the gospel message is an authentic story. Because if you're trying to fabricate a story, you don't include a detail like this. Like if you're trying to make something up, if the, the original followers of Jesus were trying to make up a story, number one, you wouldn't have like a bunch of characters named Mary and a bunch of characters named Simon. You wouldn't repeat character names and you wouldn't include details like this that say this band of Jesus followers weren't even totally sure about what was going on. Like if you're trying to make up a story, you would never include this detail. I love the authenticity and transparency of scripture. They've come to Galilee. This is the place that Jesus' earthly ministry had begun. And this is the place from which he's gonna send them out to the ends of the earth. So just, just, just put yourself in their shoes for a second. That this group of men has walked with Jesus for three years. They have seen him perform miracles. They have seen him cast out demons. They have seen him draw these massive crowds. They have seen him preach and teach with authority. Most importantly, they have seen him die and then come back to life. And there's still at least a couple of them standing there going, I don't know about all this. Like any notion that these guys were standing on top of the mountain with their capes blowing in the wind, that was just not the case. That they saw him and they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now, I want to pause here for just a second because throughout the history of the church, we've had a really weird relationship with the subject of doubt. You know, the Greek for doubt here really carries with it a sense of hesitation or wavering. You know, for, for generations, for centuries of the church, doubt was really vilified. 
You know, if, if you had doubts that meant, you know, you were, you were gonna be condemned, you were gonna be belittled, you know, you're just told you just need to believe, you just try harder, believe more, you need to have more faith. And, and so anybody who asked any question, anybody who had any sort of doubts was really vilified by the church. Well, like anything that the church airs on, the temptation is always to swing to the opposite side of the pendulum. You know, so if the old mentality was to kind of vilify doubt, unfortunately, the modern mentality tends to be more to glorify doubts. It points to a detail like this and says, see, Jesus, he's surrounded by doubters. He's totally cool with your doubt. There's, there's no problem with your doubt. Just live in your doubt. And, and, and your doubt's not a problem at all. Well, we, we don't want to go to that extreme either. You know, matter of fact, if you look at the parallel gospel account in Mark chapter 16, when Jesus gives the great commission, it says he actually rebuked them for their doubt and their unbelief. So here's the tension that we're in. The tension that we, we find in Matthew 28 and Mark 16 is yes and amen, Jesus will meet you in your doubt. And man, if, if you are a follower of Christ and you're struggling with doubt and you have questions and you have uncertainty, that does not exclude you from the Great Commission. Because we see here from his disciples, his closest friends who had walked him for three years had seen him walk out of the grave. Even these guys were struggling with doubt, but on the other side, we don't want to go to the opposite extreme of just staying in doubt. And maturity as a follower of Jesus Christ means not getting stuck on one side of the pendulum or the other. God will meet us in our doubt. Jude 1 says that we should show mercy to those who doubt. He will meet us in our doubt. He, he welcomes our questions. We can bring those things honestly to him. And yet Jesus does not want to leave you in your doubt. He wants to move you to the place of objectivity, and that's what he seeks to do in giving the Great Commission. So knowing their doubt, knowing their confusion, Jesus doesn't just start with instructions of what to do. Jesus starts with a revelation of who he is. And this is what he declares about himself in verse 18. He looks at his disciples and says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Knowing their doubt, knowing their uncertainty, knowing their fear, he reveals to them who he is. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is the all-encompassing Great Commission. First, we see that all authority has been given to Jesus. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, as the Son of God, Christ had already demonstrated his authority in many different ways. Mark chapter 1, verse 22 tells us that Jesus taught as one who had authority. Mark 3, we see that he had the authority to heal the sick and cast out demons, and he even extends that authority at times to his disciples. Mark 4, we see Jesus demonstrate authority over the natural elements when he rebukes the wind and the waves and the sea, and they obeyed. So Christ had demonstrated his authority, but the fullness of his authority had not been demonstrated until after his resurrection. You know, as a generation, my generation in particular, we, we tend to, to be really, really skeptical to people who speak with a great deal of certainty. You know, right now, I mean, what's up for grabs in our culture is any notion of right and wrong, true and false, good and evil. So when we hear somebody talk with absolute assurance and confidence and certainty, it makes us uncomfortable to the point that sometimes we'll just label those people as arrogant. And, and overconfident and, and being, being so sure of themselves. And, and we, we certainly have to make sure that we're careful, like we, the passage we read earlier, that we're not, that we're not loud gongs and, and clanging cymbals, that we're people of love. But Jesus wants to bring us to a place of certainty. He wants to bring us to a place of certainty, and he wants us to be able to recognize authority. 
Again, generationally, we, we right now, like that's, there's a lot of skepticism about authority. We've seen abuses of authority and, and, and we've seen the manipulation of authority. And what we have to recognize right away is that Jesus is never going to abuse his authority. We're taught to be skeptical of it. We're taught to be cynical of it, but Jesus is never going to be one who abuses his authority. You might hear this claimed authority and say, what on earth gives Jesus the right to say all authority in heaven and earth belongs to him? Well, friend, Jesus gets to make that claim because he's the only one that's ever walked out of a grave. When you have overcome death, you get to make a claim like this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him and know that he is never going to be abusive of that authority. Jesus does not ever use his authority to harm. He uses it to heal. He doesn't use it to take our lives. He uses his authority to raise them up. All authority in heaven and on earth belong to Jesus Christ. And in that authority, he's given us a command. So all authority has been given to Jesus. And second, we see the command that all disciples are commissioned to go. All authority has been given to me, Jesus says. All authority has been given to me, and in that authority, he gives us a command. And this is important because you and I tend to respond in proportion to the authority that's calling us. You know, I, I, have, I have three boys. If, if one of my boys tells the other that he needs to do something, the other brother's probably going to look at him and say, get lost. You know, but if, if they go upstairs and say, dad said to do this, well, I know what the response should be. Not that it always is, but I know what the response should be. And, and they tend to respond in proportion to the authority that calls them. The same is true with us. And so here's the one with all authority in heaven and on earth. If he has all authority, then whatever he says next is something we should probably listen to, right? He says, go. Go and make disciples of all nations. The imperative command in verses 19 and 20 is to make disciples. So go, baptize, and teach are all aspects of that call. Uh, Mark's gospel account, again, parallel version here, Mark 16, 15. Mark actually records this saying, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. So again, as, as a church, we have a really, really simple mission statement. The mission of the church is to preach the gospel and make disciples. And listen, that's not just the mission statement of Cross Community Church because we think it's clever. That's the mission that was given by Jesus. You know, as uh, I went through church planners training, you know, seven, eight years ago, um, uh, part of, you know, developing a prospectus and preparing to plant a church is, is building up a mission statement for your church. And, and when it comes to, to things like this, you know, I kind of have a love-hate uh, relationship with mission statements in the local church because, yes, while we, you know, we can be creative and we can bring in some elements to make sure we have a clear mission and vision, you know, at the end of the day, whatever mission we have as a church probably needs to sound a whole lot like the mission Jesus already gave, right? Like, this sounds different than what Jesus said to do, then what are we actually becoming? And, and so, you know, that was pretty straightforward for me. I was like, well, I feel like Jesus has already given a mission, and, and we're just going to try to go do what he said to go do. And, and we went through this whole process and, and evaluated a lot of different mission statements that other churches had. And what I found is that churches really tend to have a tendency to emphasize one element of the Great Commission above others instead of pursuing all of it. So here's some examples of uh, mission statements that I read as we were preparing our own several years ago. Uh, one church, their mission statement was to facilitate high-quality worship experiences where people could encounter God. Okay, so that church is going to be very Sunday-centric. It's going to be very centered on the weekly worship gathering and making sure they're doing that well. 
another church, their mission statement was to meet the practical and spiritual needs of the vulnerable and marginalized populations of the community. So church has an outward focus, a missional focus, maybe not as much of a worship focus or an internal discipleship focus. A third church said their mission statement was to uh, grow deeper in their understanding of God through his word. So the first church had more of an upward focus in worship. Second church had more of an outward focus in mission. The third church had more of an inward focus in discipleship. But the Great Commission is not upward or inward or outward. The Great Commission is upward and it's inward and it's outward. Upward, we are called to glorify God. Upward, we're called to glorify God. Inward, we are called to be disciples who are making disciples. And then outward, we're doing that of all nations, teaching them to observe everything that Jesus has commanded. So we can't be, we gotta be very, very careful to make sure that we don't emphasize one element of the Great Commission to others. It is an upward and an inward and an outward focus. We need all three in order to be well-balanced followers of Christ. And no matter who you are, this is for you. Again, being in a military community, that's one of the reasons why we had such a simple mission statement. Because listen, you, you might only be in Beaufort for a couple of years. You know, you, you'd be in South Carolina here, but then who knows, maybe next you're going to, to Southeast Asia or you're going you know, somewhere else in the Southern United States. But this is the beautiful thing, is no matter where it is the Lord sends you next, you can preach the gospel and make disciples everywhere you go. You're having high quality worship experiences on Sunday morning. I mean, that's going to depend on a number of factors. It's going to depend on your resources. It's going to depend on location. But preaching the gospel and making disciples is universally transferable across any context because that's the mission that Jesus has given to his church. And it's something we've all been commanded to participate in. You know, uh, my um, uh, sophomore year of college, I was a student at App State. I spent most of my summer in 2006 in Southeast Asia. I was in Sri Lanka. And those of you who remember the news, uh, you know, from pushing 20 years ago now, end of 2004, there was a massive tsunami that just devastated Southeast Asia. And so um, there was still a major cleanup job to do. So it was a disaster relief trip that I was in. And we were there for a few weeks and we were working in a pretty remote village where we were hand digging wells. Um, we couldn't use heavy equipment because a lot of the roads were still blocked and they couldn't get equipment in. Even the equipment that they had, very few people were qualified to operate it. So we were, man, just using wrecking bars and shovels and we're digging, you know, about 12 feet down into some pretty thick clay and just baking in the Southeast Asian sun. And so it was hard work. We're starting early in the morning. We're going later into the evening. But I'll never forget the very first day we finished working. We had about a 40-minute bus trip back to the church where we were staying because that was the closest church to this community. Had about a 40-minute bus trip back, and about halfway there, a bus driver pulls over to the side, and our guide, there, there's nothing else around. There's this tiny little maybe 8-by-10-foot shack that, that, that looked a lot less probably than the shed that you have in your backyard. And it uh, looked like it was just barely standing up and held together, and he disappears into the shed for a few moments, and then he comes out, and he's got a half dozen bottles of ice-cold Coke. And that to me, like, it, it was basically like the feeding of the 5,000, like Jesus with the loaves and the family. I'm like, bro, where did that come from? I'm like, is, is there electricity even connected to this building? And so, you know, and so, man, that was, well, you talk about how refreshing that was. After like a long day, we're burning up in the sun. He brings out these ice cold bottles of Coke. And I, I'm just fascinated looking at this going, man, there is almost no gospel presence in this community. Yet Coke found a way. <laughs> like Coke figured it out. And then, you know, you, you fast forward 10, 12 years as, as we were laying the foundations for planning the church. I had the opportunity to sit down uh, with a pretty high-ranking official for Coke who happened to be a, a faithful follower of Jesus Christ and was interested in supporting our church financially. 
And so I sat down and I made my presentation. I shared about who I was and what our church was going to be doing. And he was very gracious to us, by the way. I'll just leave it at that. I should never see a Pepsi product at Cross Community Church, okay? I'm sorry for you Pepsi drinkers, uh, but man, man, Coke was so generous to us early on. And so um, I'm not getting paid for saying that, by the way. I feel the need to like publicly make that known. And, and so anyway, I, we got to the end of our conversation. I, I, just, I was like, can, can I just ask one, one question? I was like, something's been driving me crazy for over a decade. And I told him about my experience there. And I said, how is it that Coke has found a way to get into the most difficult corners of the world, but the church has not? And I'll never forget his response. He said, when you really believe that you have a better product than everybody else, you will do anything to get it in everybody's hands. And you you talk about words that just humbled me. Because guys, Coke is selling sugar water, but you and I have living water. I had a drink that could satisfy me for, for an hour. You and I have the drink that could satisfy people for eternity. And, and the Lord just, just pressed that into my heart and, and, and has just convicted that. And I, I just wanted to say from day one, this was way back in, in 2000, summer 2016. I remember leaving that meeting and I just got in my car and I just prayed and I said to the Lord, Lord, I want Cross Community Church to be a church that says we will do whatever it takes. We will do whatever it takes because we believe that what we have really is the best there is to offer. There's nothing better than the good news of Jesus Christ. There's nothing better than the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're going to do everything that we can to make sure everybody has a chance to hear it. Hudson Taylor was the great missionary to China centuries ago. And he once wrote, the Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It's a command to be obeyed. Jesus did not give us a suggestion Church, he gave us a commission. And when I look and see that there's still so many unreached in our own community and the rest of the world, I just wonder this morning, how many of us are still looking at the great commission as an option to be considered and not as a command to be obeyed? All disciples are commissioned to go, every single one of us. This is not just for missionaries. This is not just for pastors. That This is not just for parachurch leaders. This is for every follower of Jesus Christ. All disciples are commanded to go, third, because all nations are in need of the gospel. We're all commanded to go because all nations are in need of the gospel. Go, therefore, and make disciples of how many nations? Of all nations. Not just make disciples of your nation or make disciples of some nations. Our calling is not just to to where we live. Our calling is, is to every man, woman, and child across every tribe, tongue, and nation. You dig into the language that Jesus uses. You're even the calling to all nations. This isn't just a call to all countries. The language Jesus uses, pantata ethne. This is to all ethnicities, to all people groups, to all dialects. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Jesus is calling us to advance his gospel. If you're not familiar uh, with resources from the Joshua Project, I would really encourage you to familiarize yourself um, with this resource. They um, do just incredible, extensive research on on those who are uh, yet unreached with the gospel, unengaged by the gospel. Um, I've got an app, and part of my prayer time almost every morning is that I get to see the unreached people group of the day. And, and there's specific prayer points, you know, about what is their access to the gospel and is there a Christian population there and what are things that we can be doing practically to engage them with the good news. And listen to these, these statistics from the Joshua Project. These are uh, several months old now, but they're still fairly recent. These numbers are just staggering. What we learned there is, is that there's at least 17,446 unique people groups in the world. So not just a couple hundred countries, 
17,446 unique people groups in the world. 7,000 of these are considered unreached people groups, meaning they've not yet been fully reached with the gospel. 3,000 are considered unengaged unreached people groups, meaning not only have they not yet been reached with the gospel, no one currently is attempting to reach them with the gospel. Globally, over 3 billion people live in places with little to no access to the gospel, and over 2 billion people globally have never even heard the name of Jesus Christ. This is one of my greatest burdens for the American church is that while many of us in the West quite literally bicker over the color of carpets, there's still a couple billion people who have never even heard the name of Jesus. I mean, I mean American Christians, my goodness, sometimes I feel we're, we're like the people, we are, we are making our seventh trip through the buffet line, and we're complaining about the lack of dessert options, and meanwhile, there's a couple billion people who still don't even know that there's a meal. We're all called to this. The nations, God has ordained that the nations will be reached through the preaching of the gospel. I heard a story this past week of uh, missionaries who were uh, serving remotely in, in China, and they were apart from any major city. They were unengaged, unreached with the gospel. A group of people went to them. And as they were ministering in this community, they started sharing the good news of Jesus, how Jesus Christ came and he lived the perfectly sinless life that we could never live. And he died on the cross for our sins. And, and how they could be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ, through repentance of their sin. And, and man, as the gospel was preached, I mean, just, just so quickly, there were many who professed faith in Jesus. And, and at the end of all this movement, as, as people were professing faith in Christ, and as tears were flowing and there was rejoicing that a Savior had come to them, one of the elders in the community looked at those sharing the good news. And he said to them, when did these things happen? thinking that it was a recent event. The missionary responded and told him this happened 2,000 years ago. And when he said this, the man broke down in tears. And he asked the group that was present, what took you so long to get here? Church, the nations need the gospel. God has ordained that the nations will be saved through the preaching of the gospel. And I make no mistake, God is sovereign. And sometimes he is working in spite of our disobedience to his command to go. I heard a story recently of someone who was born into a predominantly Muslim country where there was zero gospel influence whatsoever, but he had a dream one night. And in his dream, he met a man named Jesus who told him to go to a marketplace. And the next day, he went up and he went to the marketplace. And a man he'd never seen before in his life handed him a bottle of water and said, I give this to you in the name of Jesus. And he looks at him, he says, you know who Jesus is. I, a man named Jesus appeared to me in my dream. And so they went off to the side. The man shared the gospel with him. And he went home and shared the gospel with his family. And, and, and a multitude of people came to faith in Christ. So God is working, understand. God's going to draw his people to himself. He's not gonna lose a single one. But let's not use God's sovereignty as an excuse to disobey the command that he's given us to go. These are the questions that the Apostle Paul asks in Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. He just asks a series of questions. He says, how are they to call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? But as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Church, our feet are called beautiful because our news is good. We have the good news that this world needs, and God has ordained that they will be saved through the preaching of the gospel. All nations need the gospel. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, and then baptize them. So forth, we see that all believers are called to be baptized. 
As we share the gospel message, as people come to faith in Jesus, the very first step of obedience as people profess faith in Jesus Christ should be to be baptized. Now, as a church, um, we practice believer's baptism by immersion. What we see in the New Testament is that people were not baptized until after they had heard the gospel message, repented of their sins, put their faith in Jesus Christ, and they publicly professed faith in Jesus then through baptism. Baptism was a public display that showed the watching world. It showed the church. This person belongs to Jesus Christ, and they're following Jesus Christ as one of his disciples. The way we teach it oftentimes is that baptism is a lot like the wedding ring I'm wearing right now. You don't have to have a wedding ring in order to be married, but if someone refuses to wear it, there may be some concern about where their allegiance is. And so in the same way, baptism is not a work that saves us because we cannot be saved by any work, but baptism is a work that every true follower of Jesus Christ will want to do. Jesus says in John 14 that if we love him, we will keep his commandments. If we love Jesus, the way we express our love for him is first and foremost by following him in baptism. And so what we're doing in baptism is someone goes under the water and comes back up. And by the way, we're gonna celebrate three baptisms right after this service today. What we're showing is someone is going under the water, coming back up, is that their old self has been buried with Jesus Christ, and now a new self has been raised to everlasting life with him. And baptism is that public profession. That's how they're declaring to the watching world, I belong to Jesus Christ. It should be the first step of every single follower of Jesus. When someone has professed faith in Jesus Christ, we follow him in obedience and baptism. But honestly, you know, some of my favorite stories of baptisms that we have had um, as a church over the last several years, uh, we celebrate every single baptism, but here's, here's one of my favorite stories. It's the person who maybe professed faith early in life, you know, maybe, maybe as a child or maybe as a teenager, and for one reason or another, they, ne- they were never baptized. And it's, they weren't trying to be rebellious. They weren't trying to, you know, to, to buck what Jesus had called them to do but either the opportunity wasn't presented or um, it wasn't prioritized for some reason at the church that they were a part of. And then we have had people come to us who've been following Jesus 25, 30, 40 years and saying, I hear from his word that I'm not walking in full obedience to him. And friend, the encouragement for you today is whether you've been following Jesus for five minutes or you've been following Jesus for 50 years, it is never too late to follow him in obedience and baptism to publicly declare that you belong to him, to keep and observe what it is that he's commanded you to do. We're all commanded to be baptized because that's how we visibly show the watching world that we belong to Christ. And as we baptize, we're also called to teach. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So while believers are called to be baptized, fifth, we also see that all scripture is commanded to be taught. And listen to the all-encompassing language of Jesus. It doesn't say teach them to observe some of what I've commanded. Teach them to observe most of what I've commanded. Teach them to observe the parts that they're comfortable with. It says teach them to observe all that I have commanded. And man, I think this is so critical for us to hear in the year 2023 where truth is absolutely just up for grabs. I mean, guys, we're living in a world that, that, that just wants to scream at the top of its lungs that two plus two equals five. And no matter how passionate about it you are, you're still just wrong. Like there is such a thing as right and wrong. There is such a thing as good and evil. There is such a thing as true and false. And we're called to teach this world to observe everything that Jesus has commanded. Man, sometimes even within the church today, that there's this tendency to emphasize the words of Jesus, the red letters above the rest of scripture. 
as if Jesus and Paul are somehow in conflict with each other. So, you know, if Paul writes something about sexuality, people kind of put that to the side and they say, well, that, that wasn't Jesus. That was Paul that said that. Well, here's the problem. Jesus had told his disciples he was going to bring to their remembrance all that he taught. And by the way, all of the disciples were writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, who last time I checked is still a member of the Trinity. Like Jesus is not in competition with the Holy Spirit. He had told his disciples in John 14, the helper, the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So understand, Peter and Paul and James and John and Jude, they are never in conflict with Jesus because Jesus is never in conflict with the Holy Spirit. But we don't emphasize some words of scripture at the expense of others. We don't emphasize the comfortable attributes of God at the expense of the uncomfortable attributes. Now more than ever, we need the whole counsel of scripture being proclaimed in the church. Church, think about this. This commission was given to the church and no one else. This hasn't been given to anybody else, which means if you and I as followers of Christ in our preaching, and our evangelizing, in our ministry of the word, everywhere that the Lord places us, if you and I as followers of Jesus are not teaching all that he commanded, who else is doing it? Nobody is. Like if the church puts down that responsibility, nobody else is picking up. Like the university's not picking that up. The school system's not picking that up. Your workplace is not picking that up. Like this has been given to us as the church to teach all that Jesus commands. And understand that in our context today, 40 minutes on Sunday morning is not gonna be enough. My commitment to you is that every single week, I'm gonna do my best to study and to prepare and to walk you verse by verse through scripture. But man, I got 40 minutes once a week and it's a big Bible. You've got to build a life where you are immersed in being saturated in the word of God. You're marinating in, in scripture that day in and day out. That this is why every single year as a church, we lay out multiple opportunities for Bible reading plans because you can't obey all that Jesus has commanded if you don't know all that Jesus has commanded. Day in and day out, we meditate on his word. We get together with other brothers and sisters and we study it. We immerse ourselves in it. We ask questions about it. What we sit under preaching, we sit under teaching, we put ourselves in position to know what it says because we want to be faithful to do what Jesus has commanded us to do. If the whole counsel of scripture is not being delivered here and by us, then where is it going to be found? We've been given this responsibility to teach all that he's commanded. Now, let me just pause here for a second before we look at the last point. This sounds like a lot, right? I'm just going to ask by, by show of hands here, here, here in just a second. Listen to the words of Jesus, even some of his own disciples. They're there, they're, they're doubtful, they're, they're uncertain, they're hesitating, they're wavering a little bit. And, and the magnitude of the mission, Jesus just gave 11 doubt-filled men the mission plan for saving the world. I mean, just, just sit down on that for a second. Listen to everything Jesus said. Go make disciples of all nations teach them everything that I've commanded. When you hear those statistics about the numbers of unreached in the world and you look at the, the scope of the responsibility of teaching all that Jesus has commanded, let's just do this group, group participation here, show of hands. Who hears all of that and is just really, really overwhelmed? This sounds like a lot, right? I'm overwhelmed by this. To, to think that there are three billion, multiple billions of people who have still yet to even hear the name of Jesus. Guys, I look at that, I'm like, Lord, where, where do we even start? 
Like, where do we even, so how do we even begin to scratch the surface of the vast lostness of this world? And that's why Jesus closes the Great Commission, not by saying, and I wish you the best of luck. How's he end it? I'm with you always. I am with you always to the ends of the earth. All scriptures commanded to be taught in six. What Jesus leaves us with is a promise. All power has been promised to us. Behold, I am with you always. What is the hope that Jesus gives to the doubter? I am with you always. What is your strength in going and teaching and baptizing, sometimes maybe in hostile environments? I am with you always. He is with us always. This is the promise of the Great Commission. Listen, Jesus is not some cruel taskmaster. He is not just calling us to go. He goes with those who are called. And I want you just to sit down on this here for just a moment today. When Jesus says, I am with you always, that means like right now. Guys, how many of us, man, our world, my goodness, we, we are so busy. We are so stressed. We are so anxious. We are so, so restless. How many of us take moments during our day, during our week, during our month to pause and remember, regardless of the circumstance, God is with me. 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 And there's moments when you are overwhelmed and you're doubting and you have questions and you don't know the answers and you're feeling bombarded by temptation. How many times do we pause just to remember God is with me? He has not left me on my own to do this. He has not just wished me the best of luck. He has not just sent me out. He is with me. He's going with me and he's not leaving me. And listen, I, I can assure you, you are going to need this promise. All you gotta do is follow Jesus for about five seconds and you realize pretty quickly, not gonna be so good at this on my own. Probably gonna need some help along the way. Man, I go back to when the Lord was, was doing work in my life as a teenager calling me to ministry. I started wrestling with this uh, when I was in high school and especially around my junior, senior year of high school. And, and to just understand, if I could rewind the clock about 20, 25 years, um, I, I was not like a confident, public speaking, you know, get in front of people kind of person at all. I was, I was extremely shy as a kid. The first time I ever went to apply for a job, it was a guy at our church. He owned a Jersey Mike Subs, and I'd seen him on a Sunday morning and, 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 and said, hey, I need to get a job this summer. And he was like, you can come by and see me anytime. Like I knew him. He had been a Sunday school teacher when I was younger. But for some reason, like the day I walked in to ask for an application, like I just froze up and couldn't say anything. My dad's looking at me like, bro, what's wrong with you? Like speak. He's trying to, you know, and my dad finally looks at me. He's like, well, he, he wants a job. My dad had to speak for me. Like I was so afraid just to say, man, I, I need to get a job. I was the kid in school. If I had any feeling whatsoever that, that we were gonna be in an exercise where the teacher might call on me and I might have to say something, man, I was the kid that found the excuse to go get water for the 11th time. And I was the kid that just found the excuse to, to need to go to the restroom. I was the kid, if I was really uncomfortable, that suddenly I just got a stomach ache and needed to go home. I, I was so scared and hesitant. So man, when God's calling me to preach, as a teenager, gosh, I'm, I'm going, God, you know, there's a problem with that. And the problem is I can't talk. I can't talk. I mean, even, even today, I, I've been preaching for almost 20 years. 
Started this when I was 16 years old. Saturday nights, man, I still can't sleep. Sunday mornings, I can barely eat, but church, this is what I can tell you. 20 years, he has never failed to give me the words. He's never failed. Whatever it is he's calling you to do, God's word is not going to command what his spirit will not supply. If he's calling you, he's going to provide. He's going to make a way. He's with you. He's with you, and he's going to be with you to the end of the age, regardless of what doubts and struggles you experience and feel. So as we close this morning, I want to ask us several questions just for some reflection and application. Because again, the Great Commission's for everybody. There is something here for every single one of us today. There's not a single person in this room that should leave this place today untouched by the words that we've seen. And so several questions just to reflect depending on where you are. First question is this. Maybe ask yourself this morning, what doubts do I need to address? Yes and amen. God's word calls us to have mercy on those who doubt. Yes and amen. Jesus will meet you in your doubt. Your doubt does not exclude you from participation in the great commission. We're not gonna vilify doubt, but friends, we're also not gonna glorify doubt. He will meet you in your doubt, but he doesn't wanna keep you in your doubt. He wants to take you from that place of uncertainty to a place of certainty and confidence in him. He wants to take you from the place of questioning and subjectivity to ultimate objectivity, which is faith in him. And there's not a single question, there's not a single doubt, there's not a single concern you could bring before the Lord that he can't handle. Surround yourself with other brothers and sisters in Christ who can walk with you through your big doubts, through your questions. And listen, know that this church family is a safe space for you to do that. We will not vilify you for expressing doubts and asking questions, but we do want to lead you to the place of truth so that you can have faith and confidence in Jesus Christ. What doubts do you need to address? Second question, do you recognize the authority of Jesus? Do you recognize the authority of Jesus? And, and it's based on what we've seen in Matthew 28 this morning, man, one of the ways you can know you've really recognized his authority is that you are currently obeying his command to go. So, so beyond that, third question, where are you called to go? If, if this is for every follower of Jesus Christ, the question is not, am I called? The question is, will I go? The question is not, am I called to go? The question is, where am I called to go? Moms, dads, like how, how are you just making, preaching the gospel, making disciples in your home? How are you doing that in your workplace? Students, how are you doing that at school? How are you doing that with your friends? How are you doing that in your activities and with your teams? All of us, how are we doing this in our neighborhoods? Our mission field is wherever the Lord has planted us and placed us. If you live in a neighborhood, God has put a full-time missionary in your neighborhood. And it's you. So, so how are we fulfilling this great commission wherever it is the Lord has placed us? Fourth question, am I being discipled and am I making disciples? Have I put myself in a position that I can learn and grow in my understanding of all that Christ has commanded so that I can faithfully obey the great commission? Am I obeying Jesus? Am I making disciples among my children, in my family, in my home, in my workplace, in the church, with other new believers? Are we participating in this mission? Fifth question, do you need to be baptized? Do you need to be baptized? Listen, it is never, ever too late to obey Jesus. It's never too late to do this. If you've recently professed faith in Jesus Christ, we want to sit down and talk with you and make sure you understand exactly what that means and what it is you've committed yourself to. But man, as soon as possible, we want to help you take that step of obedience. We're going to celebrate three baptisms here shortly. And, and there's nothing more beautiful than the display of the gospel than a new brother or sister in Christ who's publicly professing their faith. Sixth question, how are you reading and studying scripture? 
You can only obey all that Jesus has commanded if you know all that Jesus has commanded. So, so beyond these, these 40, 45 minutes on a Sunday morning, how are you just exposing yourself to the truth of God's word? How are you engaging with other brothers and sisters in Christ? Because none of us are called to do this alone. We're called to do this in community. So maybe it's something like joining a community group or joining a Bible study group so that you can go deeper in your understanding of the word. Last question is the most important question. Does the Holy Spirit dwell within me? You know, a, a different way of answer, asking this question is just asking, are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Because if you have believed in him, if you have turned from your sins, you've repented of your sins, you have put your faith in the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, his spirit is given to all who believe. The moment we profess faith, you begin to be indwelt by the very same power that rose Jesus Christ from the grave. Does the Holy Spirit dwell within you? Have you professed faith in Jesus Christ? This is the bottom line for us today. If you are saved, then you are sent. This isn't something that's for a select group of super Christians. If you are saved, then you have been sent. So the question is not, am I called? The question is, will I go? And the promise that you and I have this morning is that no matter what doubts you have, no matter what hesitations you have, no matter how much you are tempted to waver as he calls, the promise of the Great Commission is that Jesus will be with you always to the end of the age. He has not just called us to go. He goes with those who are called. So will you bow your heads with me as we close together this morning? Father, we thank you for the promise of your word, the promise that you are with us always. You have sent the Holy Spirit who dwells within the hearts and lives of all who believe in your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to remember who has been given to us so that we can have confidence to do all that you have given to us. Father, we wanna be faithful, but we, we admit it's easy to hesitate. It's easy to be scared. Sometimes our doubts are overwhelming. And so in those moments, Lord, help us to turn our eyes to you. Give us all that we need to faithfully follow your every direction, to follow your every command. Thank you that you are with us always to the end of the age.